Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. This episode is part two of my very, very in-depth chat all about mitochondria with Matt Maruka. In this particular episode, if you haven't heard part one, by the way, just go back one week and, and download and listen to that first. But in this episode, we continue the discussion about mitochondria, but we really get in, particularly towards the end of the episode, to the nuts and bolts of how you can nurture your mitochondria. Why is it important? Matt also breaks down for us the six steps of his light diet. Now, I initially thought light diet was a type of eating regime in that, that context of diet, but it isn't. He refers to light as in sunlight, artificial light, and so on. And that's really interesting. So I hope you enjoy the episode. He knows such a ton of stuff. It really is a sort of in-depth, deep dive into mitochondria, but it's well worth it. Enjoy the episode. So one of the key things in terms of looking after your mitochondria is, is oxygen. Correct. Which we do anyway. We breathe. How else can you take care? A lot of people will never have heard of the mitochondria. It'll be a completely new concept to them. How else can they take care of these things, the little mitochondria? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So closing up that whole analogy, it's all about how well we can basically take these electrons and move them across this chain mm -hmm. and basically create that proton gradient, which then the protons are more on one side and less on the other side of this membrane. They want to flow down. They want to flow back to equilibrium, right? But we force them to flow through something called the ATPase, which is this motor. And, and then as they flow down, it spins. And this generates what we call ATP, which causes our proteins to unfold and then to allow water to bind to them, which makes them part of this gigantic energy conducting network in the body. So the thing that's most important is that the respiratory proteins in this mitochondria, the proteins that the electrons jump across, maintain the proximity, as tight proximity as possible. If they don't, if they're not close to each other, as close as they're designed to be, then the electrons can't flow as well. Think of it like a child's track, like track, where the, the kid puts a marble and it flows across the track, let's say, and the kid is supposed to put all the track pieces together to let the marble flow. Mm -hmm. If the tracks aren't perfectly tight together, the marbles might fall off, they might get stuck in the middle. They might not move. If they're all perfectly tied together, only then can the marbles flow efficiently. So to get to the answer of your question, the key is that all of our respiratory proteins stay tight together. And the thing that controls this is our mitochondrial DNA. So our mitochondria, just like our genes that we get from our mothers and father, our mom and dad, have their own genes. And these genes come specifically from our mother. So one of the things we cannot control, but mothers can control, is how well their kids are going to work. And one of the main driving factors of how I work and how any individual works in this process of energy generation, which again, translates into how well we think, how well we feel, how well we move, because energy drives every single process, how well our organs, tissues, liver, kidneys work. There's a little bit of science that we've excluded, and it's, it's absolutely would be not a good idea to leave it out. So we will get to the solutions shortly, but I'll, I'll make this one brief. There's a researcher named Dr. Doug Wallace from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, who, which is my home city, and he's on the path to win a Nobel Prize. Anyone can look him up, Douglas C. Wallace. He has an amazing papers written on PubMed. He's proven, after studying for about 40 years mitochondrial genetics and mitochondrial medicine, that 
when he started, basically, they found some rare mitochondrial diseases among individuals. And they didn't know what was, you know, they didn't know how to really fix them. They didn't know what was going on. But then as they studied more of man's diseases that are these chronic diseases we're facing today, which is probably one of the main reasons motivating you to do this podcast, one of the main reasons because I experienced them motivating me to improve my health, things like heart disease, obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer. These are the biggest killers today and the biggest things, the diseases people are struggling with, but also things like that I suffered with on a lower level, fatigue, anxiety, depression, gut issues. Mm. All of these basically are conditions in which it isn't like an infectious bacteria or virus is killing us. That's the key thing to realize. It's that our own tissues are failing to function properly. And the reason they're failing to function properly is because we can no longer generate enough energy to make them work. So Doug Wallace, after studying for so many years these rare mitochondrial diseases, saw maybe, maybe just maybe, all these other diseases we're facing today are also mitochondrial in origin. And so they looked and they found that in diabetes, it's the mitochondria in the pancreas and essentially, yeah, where we're generating insulin that aren't working properly. Hmm. In Alzheimer's disease, the mitochondria in our brain don't work properly. So they can't naturally clean everything out and keep everything working. So these plaques begin up. It's very interesting. Yeah. In heart disease, the mitochondria in our cardiovascular system, our heart, don't work well. They don't work optimally. Hmm. So basically, the, the whole point of all this stuff about this fancy talk about mitochondria energy generation, people just need to understand, if you don't take anything else away, that if the mitochondria don't work well enough, and if we don't make the right choices, which we're going to get into, and they're, they're very straightforward and simple, and that's stuff I have resources on that people can be pointed to for more information. That's why I want people cool. to get content as much as possible here, the, the understanding why, because I believe that the best thing I can do is help someone to understand why, because then they'll be more interested in, in how do they fix it. But if someone doesn't understand the why, at least if I don't, I'm not really motivated. So how do we make these mitochondria work better so that we don't have something starting with fatigue, poor sleep, energy issues, gut issues, allergies, headaches that might eventually morph into brain cancer, heart disease, autoimmune diseases, which is what many people today face. And they all often were preceded by things that seem to be just normal, like these weird issues like allergies and so on, right? Well, it's actually just a progression on a train line of bad to worse to terrible as far as mitochondrial function goes. So getting to the crux of how we can actually improve the mitochondrial function. Well, like I said, mitochondrial DNA dictates how these mitochondria are built and how they're maintained. And the thing that dictates mitochondrial DNA, besides having really good mitochondrial DNA from our mothers, which is a huge benefit, is basically how well we sleep, believe it or not. That is the most wow. single most important factor in repairing our mitochondrial DNA is melatonin, is this molecule that does that. The thing is that it isn't a hack that you can just take bottles of melatonin and be better. In fact, this would be probably the worst thing that anyone could do because it would destroy our endogenous production systems. Mm -hmm. Melatonin isn't just a synthetic chemical that's in a bottle. Melatonin is a chemical that is a carrier of sunlight energy. So this is really, this might sound really interesting, but my mentor, Dr. Jack Cruz has done really landmark research and I should say even more than research, but piecing together disparate research, which I think is of much more value today anyway, because the research that's out there is very disparate and not necessarily congruent and connected and, and often isn't leading us to deeper truths and understanding and meaning simply because there's no one putting the pieces together from all the disparate fields, right? So he has been a really big 
luminary in that space that very few others are going into. And that's why I believe he's helping so many people, myself included, to improve their health. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, that being said, he has clearly shown, along with the work of a German biophysicist named Dr. Alexander Wunsch, all three of us will be speaking together in Germany in Munich on July 6th at an event called Flowfest this summer, which I'm very excited about, about light and its importance for health and mitochondria. But the molecule that makes melatonin, it's called tryptophan. It's an amino acid mm-hmm. that is the precursor to this molecule, melatonin. And it, this and many other molecules that we use to make our key hormones and neurotransmitters contain something called a benzene ring, which is a ring in its chemical structure, which basically is the ultimate trap for ultraviolet light from the sun. It is a molecule that is very effective at absorbing ultraviolet light. And between the research of Dr. Alexander Wunsch and Dr. Cruz putting some of these pieces together, it became exceedingly clear to me that essentially the way all of these molecules are designed to work is not just by coming out of a bottle and doing some chemical action. Really, you could call them messengers for sunlight. So because again, they're designed to to absorb sunlight and they only work optimally if they're programmed by the sun's full spectrum. So essentially what that means, this might sound crazy, but because of course it will to someone who's, you know, lived an indoor lifestyle disconnected their whole life. But essentially the majority of molecules that drive our biology, especially our neurotransmitters and key hormones, they are designed to be programmed, timed, and powered by the light of the sun. And there's no coincidence about that, by the way, for anyone who thinks this is just some big coincidence. The best question I ask people when they're wondering about this or when it's a new topic for them is, I just say, what would happen tomorrow if the sun didn't rise and it never rose again? And then all of a sudden people start thinking, well, wait a minute, probably all the plants would die eventually and then all the animals would die and then we would die. So, if you think about it, the sun's light, it is the energy source that allows all life on earth to function, on the surface at least. When life began actually, it was functioning with energy from these hydrothermal vents that I mentioned at the bottoms of the ocean. So, so life at the bottom of the ocean could potentially carry on and maybe make a rebirth, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't probably go very well. If you put it in those terms, the earth would freeze and then everything would die. So still ultimately the energy is coming from the sun at the core to create a, a space where life could even exist. But that being said, the fact that is it really all of a sudden that's surprising that the key hormones and neurotransmitters in our body are driven by sunlight if all of life on earth is driven by sunlight. And obviously, if you really think about it, no, it's not that crazy at all. So, so I want people to keep that in mind when we say basically what needs to happen. So I'm, this is the light diet. At this point, I'm going to tell people the light diet. How do you optimize mm-hmm. your mitochondrial function and therefore cool. the function of the rest of your body? by living in accordance with the way that we evolved. And one more thing to throw in there, just so people get it, is that us as an organism that does this task of basically capturing or I should say releasing potential energy in the environment and utilizing it to carry on our existence, us as an organism doing this, we evolved we basically started in one environment with a certain amount of energy available. We continued to move as an basically as a reaction, an ongoing reaction, moving t- closer towards environments and situations and using molecules that afforded us greater and greater and greater ability to carry this reaction on. And so humans, anyone who's human should pat yourself on the back simply because we have worked so hard. Like we are the organism that took every single 
proper step throughout evolution to get to where we are today. So anyone who's human, the fact that you're human means that you have experienced 4 billion years of unending, unceasing striving to be the best that is possibly available. So if that's not a good starting point to wake up your day and and start your life on, I don't know what else is. 4 billion years. We're not talking like a couple like days or weeks. All of eternity as far as life is concerned. So essentially, we evolved a brain that has this level of function and complexity in an environment that could afford this level of function and complexity. In other words, there's a reason why not every single animal on earth has the human brain. It's because we as apes previously, if one is like believes the, the theory of evolution, which is my premise here, and if not, there's other research that supports these ideas, even if we do just say that God just placed us here and we function this way, that's fine too because there's still research that supports these ideas as we exist today. So mm. don't think that this is all evolution for anyone who's, who doesn't share the same belief. It's fine because it works both ways. But from the evolutionary premise, at least, we were apes before humans, and then these apes basically were pushed by changing environmental conditions to a place where there was an ample supply of seafood in the environment. And this is one of the key steps of the light diet. So we were in the East African rift zone near sort of Ethiopia, Eritrea, Africa, Kenya, that kind of area. And we began to consume because it was available ample amounts of shellfish because as an ape, we wouldn't be fishing necessarily. That requires a much higher level of intelligence, Hmm. a neocortex, which is what we have, which allows us to see trends which is our greatest tool of survival. And again, the neocortex, it is like the prefrontal cortex. It is the thing that distinguishes humans from all other animals on earth, and particularly Mm -hmm. our most common recent ancestor, apes and chimpanzees. And the way we evolved this neocortex was through an ample supply of seafood in the environment, magnetic flux coming from the earth, and sunlight. And so this is why my mentor, Dr. Cruz, always comes back to three fundamental tenets that drive life on earth, and especially advancing evolution. Light, water, and magnetism, because light powers life, Water is sort of the thing that holds the charge of life, and magnetism is basically the force that's present in the earth that is an additional benefactor to how well our ATPase works, how well our mitochondria can generate energy. So our goal in the light diet is to optimize light, water, and magnetism. So getting into the steps of the light diet, what does this really mean? And that's my term because when I started this journey, there was really no proper way to explain this. It was just this mega genius, Dr. Cruz, and all these other researchers who had put all this work together, basically explaining how life works. And and yeah. it was just like, okay, well, I meet someone on a daily basis. And they say, well, so what do you do? And I say, I do this. And they say, well, how'd you get into that? Well, because of this, this, and this. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Well, what's it called? How do I do it? What do I look for on Google? I'm like, well, uh, sorry, there's really nothing. It kind of takes five years of of you know deep research, so that's that's why I'm working on a book actually, and you've re-inspired oh, me, cool. giving me a kick to get back into that because I kind of paused since my travels. But yeah. anyhow, good, good. So step one of the light diet, if we want to get into this, how about do we have time to go maybe ten minutes and just roll through these things? We've probably got about eight, eight, nine minutes. Okay, yeah. that's perfect. So, so, so the key thing is that people have the knowledge they need, and I have a course that I can point people to if they want to learn more. But essentially, what you have to do. As a human being. Okay, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what we need to do as a human being on earth is we need to be getting up every morning to watch the sunrise. And, and this, is, this might seem almost excessive, absurd, but the reason this is so important is because when we wake up at first light, when the light is just going from night to day, this triggers this process in our brain 
which basically starts all of our biologic functions by starting the master clock, which drives all of the peripheral clocks of our other organs. What that really means is when we see the, the early morning light, this is what triggers everything to turn on and function properly. Mm -hmm. This is what tunes our circadian rhythm for the day. And so if we miss this initial morning light, then our body is sort of in a perpetual state of not knowing where it is existing. So this is really important to be getting up first thing in the morning to drive our circadian rhythm. And this way, our hormonal secretions, everything throughout the day is driven and timed by the sun's light. Like when we wake up, we have a spike in cortisol that gets us going and started for the day and wakes us up. When we go into darkness in the evening, which is what's happening here now for me in Indonesia, as you can see, the sun has just set uh, about 10 minutes ago and now it's dark, but it's rainy anyway. So it's been getting dark for a while. But that allows the brain to start secreting melatonin. These processes are all timed and they're driven by the sun's light throughout the day. At certain periods in the night, we have maximum secretions of growth hormone, prolactin, these molecules that help us to heal. During the afternoon, we have optimal protein synthesis, a full circadian rhythm. People can even look up a Google picture of this, and there's a clock that shows, you know, first thing in the morning, we're designed to have peristalsis, ejection of our bowels, which if a great way to know if you have a disrupted circadian rhythm is if you don't have a natural bowel movement every morning. But if you, hmm. if you have a functional circadian rhythm, you would have this. And again, this might seem not like a big deal, but this is a symptom of a deeper disruption that's going on in the body. So... That's a re that is the key way to start a circadian rhythm. Again, someone asks the question, well, is it okay if I just go out eight or nine in the morning once I've woken up naturally and all this stuff? And I would say based on what I've learned, I did that when I started the light diet and I had tremendous improvement just by getting more sunlight. Don't get me wrong. However, getting up at first light has been an even bigger boost to my, my biologic function because I've been able to actually optimize my circadian rhythm. But again, any improvement anyone makes in this direction getting more sunlight will lead to an improvement in their biology. But I want, I want to tell people the way to go full on and all the way because it's most important that people don't leave with a half truth thinking that they're doing the full truth. If they're only going halfway, I'd at least rather people know that they're only going halfway, which was me throughout this whole process. I knew if I was going halfway, I knew it. You know, mm -hmm. Or if, if I wasn't going the full way, I knew it. Right. So that's really important. That's step one of the light diet is waking okay. up and watching the sunrise and pretty much waking up at first light. Yep. The second step that's really beneficial, and this is actually part two of step one, is exposing yourself to sunlight during the day. So just getting more sunlight as a rule of thumb. It's very simple. No sunscreen, no sunglasses, no contact lenses during this process. The reason why is because they block ultraviolet light, which is actually the key, if, if you remember from what we mentioned earlier, for programming a lot of these hormones and biologic processes, mm -hmm. creating vitamin D. That alone should be an indicator that the sun isn't this evil thing if we have this molecule that's actually synthesized with the exposure to ultraviolet light that has been proven to reduce the risk, the risk of all diseases. And the interesting thing is that if you take vitamin D orally, it does not have the same effect. It's really about having vitamin D that's made the proper way because it's about the light programming the vitamin D and making it properly and all the other benefits afforded by sunlight, not the vitamin D coming from a dropper or a pill bottle. Mm -hmm. It might have some effects in some tests under very tightly controlled conditions, but generally it won't be long-term. It could even be a risk based on the research Dr. Cruz has laid out. Okay. Step two, we already mentioned this, eat a lot of seafood because this is what allowed the human brain to evolve. And for people who are really concerned about mercury, I know my friend Tim, who you interviewed is very concerned yeah. about mercury. 
I have come to learn that people who have high redox, which is how well our mitochondria are able to carry out this reaction of life that we've spent so much time discussing, redox potential, reduction oxidation reactions is what we carry out, simplified to redox. And redox potential is basically how much charge we have in our cells to carry out these reactions. And this is built by having lots of sunlight exposure and having good quality water in our cells, which is part two of step two, drinking good quality water. Mm -hmm. So we want to eat loads of seafood, drink good quality water. And the key thing, high redox means you can detox very effectively, making mercury and things like this not a huge issue. So people can avoid predator fish, tuna, swordfish, shark, Mm. and that kind of thing if they are concerned about mercury. Eat sardines and salmon and things like that. And if you're concerned about, you know, farm fish and toxins and that, which again, I'm not tremendously concerned about, if you have a high redox, then you can eat wild fish if you're concerned about it. But that's, that's fine. Sorry to interrupt. Why would you avoid predator fish? Because they're eating lots of other fish. Therefore, there's an accumulation exactly. of exactly the smaller fish in krill and stuff like that, aren't they? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyone who's concerned about the risk of mercury will definitely be the first to tell you that the worst you could theoretically eat is tuna. And Tim Gray my good friend would say that, that tuna is really bad. And he's probably going to listen to this. But, but again, he has a reason for believing what he does because the research indicates that if someone's totally sick and toxic or just isn't able to detox well, then this mercury is going to cause a huge issue. But mm. I don't know. If it is, then I'll find out in a few years. But I'm feeling fantastic eating something like this as a regular food staple. Anyhow, continuing on from this, yep. it is critical step three to avoid man-made electromagnetic radiation, which is not what I'm doing right now with earbuds in my ears, a microphone in front of my face. Yeah, we're surrounded. And a Wi-Fi for connection. Yeah. Right? We're surrounded. But but things like not holding your phone up to your head, yep. easy step, like the three things I tell people, don't hold your phone up to head. When you're calling, use speakerphone. Keep your phone on airplane mode when it's on your body. And I've been meeting a lot of conscious people in Bali over here, more than I expected, who are aware of this risk. And it's, it's actually kind of surprising. If you're at your house, use Ethernet when you're on your computer. Hook up to Ethernet to your, your router and turn off the Wi-Fi on your router mm. by going into your router settings. I have a YouTube video on that on my channel that you can link on how to go into your router settings. Any computer, any router in the world, I've done it in, in Indonesia, in a foreign language, in Mexico, and turn off the, the Wi-Fi, the broadcasting, but leaving the router on for your hardwired connection, minimizing your exposure completely. Mm-hmm. Huge win. And most importantly, turn that thing off when you sleep, the Wi-Fi yeah, router. That's what we do. We have a timer. It goes off at 11 and it comes back on at 7. And that's great. I say that, but right now I'm wearing an Aura ring, I'm wearing an Apple Watch, and you can't see it, but I'm wearing a continual blood glucose monitor. So it's a little ironic that I'm turning off my Wi-Fi yeah. at night and I've got all this stuff on me. But to be fair... That goes on, bizarrely, that's just turned off. That goes on flight mode and comes off at night. That doesn't, but my that, that stays on. And the continual blood glucose monitor is only a 30-day experiment. Yeah. But I'm not ignoring the irony of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Be aware that it is a big risk. And it can even, yeah. funny thing about the Bluetooth blood glucose monitor is there's research showing that this is by a woman named Nora Volkow, and it was previously done by Alan Fry, if I'm not mistaken, that shows that non-native EMF, it can alter the AMPK pathways in our biology, Mm. basically causing spikes in blood glucose without any changes to anything else in our diet environment or anything else. Wow. So that just is a sign showing that, and again, you know, one would have to want maybe want to go read those papers themselves. I've read them and gotten experts sort of analysis of them from others. But it's basically 
indicating that, you know, you think you're doing a cool experiment with the blood glucose monitor, but maybe it's even creating artifacts that you wouldn't be aware of because mm. not being aware of this research. In other words, people think they're wearing a Fitbit or they're wearing an Apple watch and they're wearing an aura ring and it's making them healthier. The aura ring actually kudos to them. I believe you can turn it on airplane mode from you can. The app. Yeah, you can. And that's a benefit. Yeah. And so these are things to be aware of. So that's step three of the light diet. Yep. And the final most important of that step is if you live in a major massive city, and especially if they're rolling out 5G technology, which they are in all of the Western world, United States and Europe, especially be aware of the risk that you are being experimented on. And there's a book called Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science. So Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science. Mm. Sounds interesting. It's amazing. It's, it's about the first researcher, or it is written by the first researcher on the health effects of non-native electromagnetic radiation back in the 60s, 70s, and what happened when he went to court against the power companies, and also about the stories where the Navy hired him and his mentor, Dr. Robert O. Becker, who many people may know if they're interested in energy medicine, because he wrote a book called The Body Electric. This is his protege, Andrew Marino, who wrote the book Going Somewhere. And this outlines exactly how it happened that the government in the United States, which then spread to the rest of the world, allowed non-native electromagnetic radiation in the radio and microwave range to be utilized broadly across all applications that the industries desired on the public without the public say. And even when it was brought to court upon risks, how the evidence was basically distorted and hidden based on a really flawed old legal precedent, which basically states that because a bunch of people agree that something is true, it must be true. That was the mm -hmm. standard that was live in the United States. So all these power companies hired all the researchers they could pay, anyone who needed an extra dime, and they pay them a lot of dimes, trust me, lots of money, to basically all testify that this one guy, who is the only person doing the non-industry funded research, was a total quack. And because he didn't have the general consensus, that his evidence wouldn't be admitted in the court of law, and he always lost. So that was the standard governing science at the time. And, and really, hmm. the telecom companies are still campaigning for the same standard to be used in the ongoing massive amounts of legal cases against them. Hmm. And it was also the Navy who needed all of the soldiers or people in the Navy to believe that all the radar that they were being exposed to wasn't a risk because this was going on during the Cold War. So it would have been a massive threat to, let's say, national security, quote, quote, if all of the radar and, and military men and Navy men all of a sudden were concerned about getting cancer and cataracts, which is what the research showed that these radars caused, the really strong ones, mm -hmm. which is way stronger than the technology we're using today acutely. However, we're all exposed to way more of it on a much more regular basis. So it's actually yeah, we are. very interesting. So that's step yeah. three of the light diet. Cool. Four, I'll just kind of walk through these quickly and we'll just kind of maybe close up. But yep. four people know about Wim Hof, the Iceman. Get in a cold bath, take a cold shower, expose yourself to the elements. Don't wear your coat as often as you normally would and, and wear lighter layers. This is basically good rules of thumb. And the way this improves the mitochondria is by forcing them to work a little bit harder to generate more energy and release a certain portion of it as heat, also known as infrared light. This mm -hmm. affects the, the water structure around the mitochondria, causing everything to be much more tight and together, mm -hmm. which is essentially how we want these respiratory proteins to be. So again, if we structure this water around the mitochondria in our cells, then, and this is something we're not going to get into right now, but basically there's a researcher named Gerald Pollack who wrote a book called The Fourth Phase of Water, which basically is a landmark book for how water works in living organisms because it reveals that the water in our cells is not like water in a glass mm. and that it's actually in a structured form. And the, and the thing that causes it to go into the structured form is when it's against a hydrophilic water-loving surface and infrared light, which is also known as heat, is shined onto it. 
And so our body constantly generates infrared light in this process of energy generation. In other words, heat, because it's not a fully efficient process. We basically capture energy that we would otherwise be wasting. But when we go into cold freezing water or even just cold air, but cold water is much more effective. Anyone who's been in a cold bath knows how much it just sharpens you up. The reason why is because it forces the mitochondria to massively increase their energy generation, or some people will say to increase your metabolism. Okay. Mitochondrial energy production. Mitochondrial energy production to anyone who didn't get this in the beginning, which might not have, is equivalent to metabolism. So when people say you have a fast metabolism, it's because your mitochondria work well. As you age, your mitochondria slowly work less and less well, meaning we have a slow metabolism, which means you know, we gain weight more easily because we don't burn things as well because our mitochondria don't work as well. So cold water exposure, huge benefit. And I say, okay. if you can take an ice bath or a cold plunge every day, at, you know, between 12 and 15 degrees Celsius is, is plenty good. And I have a spa. There's all kinds of bathhouses that have this huge benefit and it'll change your life. Okay. I can tell you that. All right. So that's step four. Yeah, step four, and there's two more. So step five is watching the sunset or at least being outdoors. And as we've discussed, living an outdoor lifestyle is a part of step one, getting ample sunlight exposure, unfiltered through glass, windows, sunglasses, clothing, and so on. Mm -hmm. In the course, I explain more how people who are really pale, especially people in the UK might have this issue, but how they can build a solar callus, which is like a tan. I was the dullest person I ever knew growing up. And now I'm one of the tannest people I know, generally speaking. I mean, for a, a white Irish guy, because I'm my, my grandmother's from Dublin. That's where my skin comes from. Yeah. So very clearly driven. But you want to watch the sunset. And the key thing is in the modern world, like what I'm doing right now, you can see I have these blue blockers on. This is a key part of light diet. This is why I started a company. Because when we're exposed to artificial light at night, it does the opposite of what that sunrise does for us. It disrupts our melatonin secretion because it the light, like I said in the beginning of the first episode, it tricks our brain into thinking that it's day when it's not. And so we no longer make melatonin. And then melatonin is the key, mo- or I should say we no longer secrete the melatonin, which was programmed by the sun's light during the day. We no longer secrete it at the right time early enough in our sleeping period. Mm-hmm. So we no longer get all the benefits of like the, the prolactin surge later on in the evening, the human growth hormone surge later on in the evening. We don't get these because our circadian rhythm, our biologic clock is disrupted by this artificial light exposure at night. So you could go live in a cave and only use, or you could just use red lights or candles at your house at night. Great hack. Mm-hmm. No lights on before bed and so on, right? Okay. But if you're living in the normal world, blue light blocking glasses are a key hack and that's why they work really well. And the, I made them more attractive. That's basically what Roptics does. So in cool. step six, anyone who's listening to this, just you make yourself your first priority. That is the most important thing. That's step number six. You have to be the highest value in your own life. You have to be your own end and you can't be the means to anyone else's end or the means to anything else other than your own existence. Mm. Your own existence justifies your life and it justifies everything you do and you don't have to do anything necessarily to justify your existence. Just being is justification of your own existence. Now, to stay alive, you have to do things to stay alive. But there's this this philosophy that's taken over the world, which is that every man should live for others, which, again, as long as I believe that, it was like a life sucker out of me because no matter how much I did to enjoy my life and appreciate myself and enjoy myself and be in Bali stuff, I just realized this for as, as well as I could yesterday for the first time, but I was never satisfied because I felt like I had to suffer more. I had to struggle more. Otherwise, I didn't deserve what it yeah. was that I had worked for and that I had earned. Yeah. So people need to make sure 
and my mentor, Dr. Cruz says it like, if you aren't good for yourself, who are you good for? That's his way of putting it. But my way of putting it is that you are the most valuable thing in your life and you have to treat yourself like that. Yeah. And then you can be of the most value to others. I think it's a strong closing message because too many people denigrate themselves. They don't put themselves first. They think it's selfish to do so, but I think you've, you're at the engine of your life. And you've, Vishen Lakhani, you probably know, the founder of Mind Valley University, mm-hmm. said he makes sure that he's done a workout, he's done his meditation, and he's done a handful of other things before he turns his attention to family or business. And I completely endorse that view. It's not a selfish view. It's, it makes a lot of sense. So, Matt, thank you. You have given us a ton of information. I really appreciate that, as I'm sure the listeners will as well. You've touched on your course for the light diet. Where can people, we'll link to it in the show notes, but where can people access that? Correct. That would be on my YouTube channel. Now, it actually hasn't been put live yet, but maybe when you, okay. once you release this podcast, it will be. Yep. But uh, it, it should be live within about two weeks or less. So Okay. So that might coincide. Okay. So we'll post up the link. It will be on the YouTube channel. Okay, cool. We've got a discount code for the glasses, which is Body Shot, which will get listeners 10% off and you're already running a promotion for the launch. So they're going to end up with something like about 35% off, which is fantastic. So people can reach you personally at Instagram at the light diet. Your website is Matt Maruka. That's M-A-R-U-C-A.com. You're Matt Maruka on YouTube, which is where they'll find that course, but we'll link to it. And the business Ra Optics, which is the blue light blocking glasses, super cool, fashionable, trendy. That's at Ra underscore optics on Instagram. And the website is www.raoptics.com. Correct. And if someone wants to reach me, you know, you can send me a message on Instagram. Instagram might be a possible way. That would be good. You can email support at Raw Optics if you have inquiries related to Raw Optics. And we'll get back to you there. And uh, yeah, and I'll get back to you through Instagram at a certain point. I have a lot of messages coming in and questions because people love this message, but I'll get back to you at a certain point and we'll get you some information. Very cool. Matt, thanks very much. Thank you so much, Leanne. I really appreciate coming on to the show. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on take the test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.